Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of CIO Leadership Live. I'm your host, Mary Fran Johnson, CEO of Mary Fran Johnson Media and a contributing writer on CIO.com, where I cover boardroom and technology and career issues for technology leaders. Twice a month, we produce CIO Leadership Live with the gracious and helpful support of my friends at CIO.com and the CIO Executive Council. We're streaming live to you right now on LinkedIn and also on YouTube, where we have IDG has its Tech Talk channel. And so we welcome all of our viewers to follow us and join in the conversation by sending in your questions. We have editors that will watch for those and pass them along that so I can pose them to my guest. We'll be watching for those and doing our best to pass them along. My guest today is Vishal Gupta, who is the global CTO, the CIO, and the Senior Vice President of Connected Technology for Lexmark International. Vishal joined Lexmark just one year ago this month, and he's responsible for all of IT corporate strategy, security operations, software, and analytics for this global imaging solutions company. Privately owned and headquartered in Lexington, Kentucky, Lexmark is a global provider of cloud-enabled imaging tech that serves customers in more than 170 countries around the world. As a seasoned engineering and business technology leader, Vishal served as global CTO at Unisys before joining Lexmark last year. Before that, he was the senior VP of engineering and product management at Symantec and before that, a VP at Cisco, where he was leading its Internet of Things solutions for the healthcare, retail, and finance industries. I'm sure that his deep expertise in IoT technologies, cybersecurity, AI, and hybrid cloud will be quite evident in our discussion today. So thank you for joining us, and thanks so much, Michelle, for being here with me. It's a pleasure to join, and uh, thank you for inviting me, Mary Fran. Excellent. Let us start out and talk about the state of Lexmark's digital business, the industry disruptions, all the pandemic uncertainties that everybody is dealing with. But I think across the technology industry, it's, it's been a particularly hectic time over the last year or two. So in the year that you have been there, what have you observed about the impact of that industry disruption on the work you're doing there at Lexmark? Yeah, no, it's a great question. You know, so the past um, two years, right, since the pandemic began, have been, I think, unprecedented in many ways and um, and a big sort of uh, motivator of change uh, for the entire technology industry. And, and there are obviously positives and there's challenges. And I think uh, at Lexmark, we've experienced the same as well. You know, on the positive side, I think, you know, we, we've been talking of digital transformation a lot, right? Hey, what does digital transformation entail in the industry? Do you, you know, when do you undergo it? Uh, what is the impact of it? And I think the pandemic, essentially the positive that I see is it truly accelerated digital transformation mm -hmm. because you really had no other way, right? How would you otherwise connect to your customers, your employees, your partners? You had to, everybody sort of had to figure out how do you do all of those activities in a way mm -hmm. uh, where the digital technology was at the center of each of those experiences and those interactions, yeah. even though everybody was dispersed across the world, mm. right? The challenge, if you think about it, Mary Fran, was really from the aspect of 
you know, to enable people to work in this new, what initially became completely virtual and then later on is becoming a hybrid model yeah. is, you know, you're sort of going, we've got about 8,000 employees, you know, so we typically used to think ourselves in 100 offices. Now you're going from this 100 offices to 8,000 um, quote unquote virtual offices, right? Inside each of the buildings, inside the homes. So how do you really uh, not just have the work done, but inspire and, and enable and empower uh, that workforce? Uh, and then how do you enable insights coming to that workforce, which traditionally would have been you know, going to say a career fair or a physical meeting at an ABC or any of those things mm-hmm. to be able to happen virtually and do that in a secure way, uh, especially given the number of security incidents truly went up. And so, so I think the past uh, year has been, um, has had both lots of opportunities and lots of challenges mm-hmm. in terms of both transforming what we sell, what we create, how we do those things, how do we innovate for the future, mm-hmm. and how do we uh, essentially enable a secure, productive, and uh, empowering experience uh, for all our stakeholders, which includes our partners, our customers, and our employees. And so, so that's, the, that's what we've been at the center of. Sure. Well, and I think a lot of times I think CIOs in other industries think that if you are the the CIO or the CTO at a technology company, um, a technology industry company, that you've got more of an advantage or a, a leg up on being able to manage all these things. What's your impression about that? Because you meet and talk with a lot of CIOs in other other industries as well. Do you feel oh. like you have more of an advantage uh, as a tech industry CIO? <laughs> Yeah, it's a great question. And so, you know, I think in the industry, there's a lot of talk of convergence and there's also convergence, not just in technologies, but in roles, right? And so prior roles that were actually separate are not converging. And in some ways, the needs of the technology are enabling that convergence. And so to your specific question, I'm finding more and more you know, as I go to tech conferences, as I meet my peers in advisory board meetings and other communities, that um, the companies are realizing that there are there are two or three critical needs that they have, right? They have a need to create very compelling experiences for their employees, especially yes. as they're distributed and in that virtual digital hybrid workplace. Mm-hmm. That's the job of the CIO. What they're also finding is that, you know, in the past, the same factors that drove the transformation for those internal experiences are also driving it to create that experience for the customers and partners. Yes. And that's the job of the CTO. And since the technology industry is converging, you know, so you're in the past, you had, you know, products that would run on premise. Mm -hmm. And so your CTO kind of focused a bit on those Mm -hmm. and your CIO sort of focused on their data centers and maybe, you know, having some custom apps and, maybe buying some apps from some other legacy players, but all of that is changing because everybody's moving to native cloud now, right? They're thinking about sort of hybrid cloud workplace. And so even the underlying technologies that the CIOs and the CTOs worked on are getting very common because they're all leveraging, you know, uh, sort of a a native cloud interface and maybe across multiple clouds, maybe even across the data center, 
They're leveraging, you know, how do you create all of those experiences in a secure way? So you have to think about security both inside in and outside. Yeah. And perspective, they're thinking about other underlying technologies like IoT and AI and all. And so I think that's leading to that convergence of the roles, mm-hmm. which are becoming more critical because of technology is becoming the big differentiator of business itself, that business experience, right? The ability to not only offer technology products, but to enable technology to provide, even if you're selling shoes, a better experience, a better design. Mm-hmm. Then I think uh, that's leading to the companies to both create the roles very explicitly for a CIO and CTO, and in many cases, converging it, like we saw in my case. The only other element I would say is, you know, with the pandemic, many companies have also realized that the accelerated pace of change is leading folks to really focus a lot on not what made them successful in the past, mm-hmm. but what will make them successful going forward. Because you know the pace of change is also requiring a need to change your strategy, right? Uh, it's requiring the need to reinvent yourself, create new sets of offerings, new sets of experiences. And mm-hmm. that's where I think the role of corporate strategy is also becoming more important not to think about a three or a five-year strategic planning cycle, but also think about something faster because it's becoming harder to predict what the future is. And so you need to sort of move to it in a, in a, in a faster way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so like in my case, we actually had all of the three roles converge uh, for corporate strategy for CIO and CTO. And uh, yes. I'm certainly seeing cases where the CIO is more and more not only getting a seat on the table, but also sometimes even taking on the strategy function because uh, the technology is such a critical element to enable the new strategy that bringing those two functions might be helpful. Well, and we've seen that too. I've seen it in other um, in other industries. I remember in the, just in the Boston area when the CIO of Duncan Brands became the chief strategy officer. Now he ended up also having a CIO who took over a lot of the more traditional duties that CIOs would do. But I I feel like I'm running into more of these combination titles where it used to be you'd look at CIO and CTO and one would always be reporting to the other. And that seems to have changed around a bit. And a lot are CIO and CTO, like your combined title. But the part that I think that's especially interesting is the Senior Vice President of Connected Technology. I remember interviewing the um, CIO of uh, Toyota because he uh-huh. is also, I think he might even, I'm um, thinking of Zach Hicks, he might be the, I believe the CEO of uh, yeah. Connected Technologies for um, Toyota. So it's certainly not unique to the technology industry, but I wondered when you think about the way you have developed your role at Lexmark over the last year, what give us an example for something that is done that you're doing very differently that is more of a reflection of how your connected sure. technology role is playing out now in a way that employees internally are seeing it that's a great question and so you know if you think about how do you transform a company you know we're ourselves in the middle of a big transformation mary fran and you know we we're in the imaging business and if you think about, you know, hey, in this digital transformation, in a, in a sort of a world that requires a digital hybrid workplace, how would you uh, accelerate the pace of transformation? Then you have to think about transforming both the offerings that you have eventually in the market 
And so, for example, we have created something that we call as Lexmark Ventures, which is really around incubating net new thinking uh, and net new products, almost like a startup, right? And so a lot of companies are kind of creating these incubators with the idea that, you know, can you essentially, while you have the, the benefit of scale, can you also have the benefit of a startup kind of uh, agility and, and create that level of uh, experimentation and risk-taking and being able to launch completely new products without analyzing mm-hmm. them over, you know, six months or 12 months or whatever the, the, the risk uh, appetite might be. Them to death in, a, in essence. Exactly, yeah. right? And so, so I think on one hand, we've sort of incorporated something like Alexmark Ventures, which I've recently, you know, I've taken over the last three or four months. And I've also got the responsibility for, as I mentioned, corporate strategies, the CIO, the CTO. And the benefit of having these four pieces together in a connected technology element is uh, there is threefold benefits. Uh, One, you are giving your employees the opportunity to rotate through lots of very different kind of assignments, right? And so we have people who worked a long time in IT who say, okay, if I'm able to manage all these workloads for IT, what about I doing it, you know, doing the same thing from a DevSecOps perspective for some of the products that we might be able to be offer for end customers instead of end employees. And so we're able to drive those rotations, we're able to drive rotation into, you know, people getting experiences and kind of working in a startup kind of an environment with Lexmark Ventures or people sort of saying, okay, can you pull back from the day-to-day you know, more operational responsibility to more of a strategic responsibility and think longer term and into the yeah. corporate strategy roles. So I think that's one, one benefit. The other benefit that are, we're able to do is we're able to create these communities uh, of excellence. And so because the underlying technology is similar in, it's just that the work product is different. Mm-hmm. You're creating experiences in sometimes faster way with a startup with very radical thinking versus you creating it for employees versus customers and other large customers. And so we're able to also use this particular capability of really enabling our, um, not just our employees, but also our customers and partners to, to experiment sort of in a different way, right? To sort of tie those knots together in a way that uh, we've not been able to tie. And so, these communities of excellence, if we create one, let's say for cloud. Now, mm-hmm. even though it's not a physical center of excellence with all the people in one location, it may be across many locations, across many technologies, they can learn from each other. And people really, you know, if you think about what people are really wanting in this sort of, uh, in the world right now is to both make sure that the work they have has an impact and also they can actually evolve their careers and their journey in a meaningful way. And so, the ability to create those communities, the ability to give them the rotations, the ability to innovate faster uh, mm-hmm. by combining these pieces uh, because now you're able to you know, move it a little bit faster. So I think those are the key benefits that we're seeing from this creating of this connected technology kind of a paradigm. So it's around ability around, around empowerment and, and greater experiences. I like the notion of a community of excellence rather than a centers of excellence, because that is often a physical thing, you know, like a place or a group that gets put together. Um, How many of these communities of excellence do you have and how are they structured? Uh, Who did they report up to? Is the business side just as involved in them uh, as the technology side at Lexmark? 
Yeah, you know, it's something that we're in the early stages of uh, developing. And so I would not say this is something that we are fully fleshed out and it's all uh, up and working in a great way. Uh, the concept is that, you know, we have certain elements where the technology is very common mm-hmm. across the entire company. So I'll give you an example. One of the set, uh, communities of excellence that we're developing is AI. Because we realize that AI is going to be so fundamentally critical because every decision we want to make is based on data. And so whether the decision is around finance or supply chain or in technology product, it needs to be infused with AI. And so when we're thinking about creating a community of excellence for AI, we have a core group that's inside our connected technology called DSNA, Data Science Analytics, But then we created a community across the entire company, which could participate in sort of kind of learning, you know, how to uh, think about data. How do you think about data governance? How do you think about building these machine learning models, deploying them, types of use cases? And so depending upon what kind of area you're interested in, Mm -hmm. if you're a person with a business mind of mind, you're thinking more from a use case concept. If you're a person who's more interested in cloud, you're thinking about how do I create the data pipelines? If you're a person who's more interested in AI, ML models and the maths behind it, then you're focusing on that. And so that has become one of a very large community and we're to seed it, we tied up with the uh, North Carolina state to sort of create really powered with AI Academy. And so we're taking about 25 people to become a data scientist. And these are people across the entire company. They're not just in connected technology. And so only about a third of them are in it, but uh, two thirds of them actually sit in finance or supply chain or, uh, in uh, sales even. And so what we have found is that that has created an enormous opportunity for both, not only to create a talent pipeline, but also to create a a use case pipeline for these things. Because, you know, now more and more people are are aware of the need and and the power these things can bring. And so we're creating these communities for AIML. We're creating them for we think a lot about experiences and how do we make those experiences both intelligent, which is where AI comes, mm-hmm. and intuitive. So we're creating design communities uh, of excellence, right? And so we're creating people who are, have interest in how do I do really understand personas? How do I really understand building very compelling experiences? And so we're creating that as a community. We've created cloud as a community. We're creating security and creating a security bias and a consciousness and thinking about how do you do it secure development life cycle. So, so there's four or five communities, but what's amazing about them is that they are across locations. So they would be in like, you know, across touching employees and not just one or two, but many, many locations. They would be across uh, departments. And so it would not just be people just in IT, but people also touching product side, sometimes even finance, sometimes even supply chain and all. And, in, and there are a few cases where we're even bringing our partners into it as well. Okay. So that way they can actually help us accelerate the journey from an ecosystem perspective even more. Yeah. Does you'd mentioned that you're, you're doing some of this work with North Carolina State. Are there other universities or institutes that you're working with, or is it pretty much exclusive to NC State right now? Yeah, I think NC State has this thing called the AI Academy. And so uh, Dr. Carla there, I think, was a visionary and really kind of got our vision, what we wanted to do. And so we were able to, I think, tie up. And we've gone through now, not one, not two, but three cohorts. And that, what is very compelling about that one is people do that every day, 
right? So the cohort yeah. that's in it is in it for a year and every day from 5 to 9 p.m. And so they're actually spending a lot of their personal time. They're actually learning together in a team on working on projects that come that are sponsored from the work, but also doing the projects that are coming from the university in terms of thinking. And they're virtually spread and they actually get end up getting three specific certificates during the course of this program around the four month each. Uh, we are in discussions with both a university in India and another one in uh, uh, sort of University of Kentucky to kind of do similar programs. Okay. We're looking at creating a similar pipeline on the cyber side because we think we have a big need for cyber talent and also on the yes. cloud side as well. Uh, but I would say the, the North Carolina one is the more advanced program because it's also underwritten by Department of Labor. And so it's a, in a way, it's a very good example of the government, the industry and the academia coming together and really creating more capacity for American workers, you know, because this is really geared a little bit more towards the U.S. Okay. employees. But what we've also done is we have created something called Pathways to Data Science, which is about a 25 hours of recording, mm-hmm. which itself is into sort of five modules that any of our employees can take. And therefore, then they could be in Budapest or they could be in Europe or, or some yes. other place. And so we wanted something that was both very deep and also something that could, you know, be leveraged for anybody across uh, any time zone that they were in. Well, it's interesting. It's very reminiscent to me of the way um, CIOs have interviewed in the past, especially um, CIOs who were uh, very much at the top of their game, you know, in the 90s. When you ask about their early days of what brought them into computer science or into data or um, advanced analytics, often it would start with programs and certificate programs and training that was provided by the company they worked with. Um, right. I mean, in its, in its day, and then they may still be doing this, IBM was huge in this area. I and, just, and you know, we're a spin out of IBM. So we, we have a little bit of the big blue. You have that and you have some of that in your DNA. Exactly. Now, that's a, um, I always like talking about talent acquisition and also retention, because it's everyone I talk to says, well, the first, the number one thing is talent because without great people we can't do all this and i know you're just as serious in hiring from outside as you are in developing internal talent is there any particular percentage or metric that you're trying to do that in like is it 75 percent training and mm. yeah you know it's a great question so i think you know i think all my fellow technology leaders right now are I think facing perhaps one of the biggest challenges in our life in terms of not just the great resignation wave, but also people fundamentally rethinking what they want from life, right? The pandemic is forcing us to all rethink what is our mission? What are we here for? What are our priorities, right? And so Mm -hmm. what's our purpose, right? And so I think that is, I think, very healthy because it's making us think about what is a sustainable strategy longer term that enables everyone to win, right? Whether you're a new employee, whether you're an existing employee, whether you are, no matter whether you're a minority, whether, you know, no matter what gender you've got, how do you create that that environment of innovation, the environment of continuous learning, the environment where everybody can be the best they can be. Mm -hmm. And so when we have looked at this problem uh, or the challenge, we've thought about, we've made a couple of decisions. One, we think about this from an 80-20 perspective, meaning we think that for all these new areas, it's not just going to be about recruiting from the outside. Mm-hmm. It's going to be about developing the internal talent, right? That's where you get uh, really long-term atten- 
retention and, and loyalty and sustainability. And so mm-hmm. uh, our teams are very focused on that 80%, you know, how do we really train them, develop them, give them different experiences um, that enable, uh, you know, the talent to, to be able to take advantage of these newer opportunities, uh, whether it's an IoT or, or, or AI or cloud or, or DevOps and all. So right. that's so much about the percentage. Now the question becomes, how do you do that, right? It's, it's one thing to have a goal. It's mm-hmm. actually relatively hard to implement these things. And so mm-hmm. there, you know, I would say we're experimenting. We, we haven't cracked the code, but we're experimenting with a variety of things. And I'll give you a statistic, Mary friend, that'll tell you that we've actually made some progress. You know, one of the things that we try to measure is what is our employee engagement? I know a lot of companies do a similar yeah. measurement, right? Yeah. And so yeah, we compare ourselves always. Scores, essentially. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we compare ourselves typically to the high-tech average because high-tech average actually have higher typically engagement scores because in some ways the work is more compelling and sort of more uh, exciting mm-hmm. uh, for some of the high-tech companies. And our engagement scores are about uh, 10 to 12 points higher than even higher tech average, which itself is about five points higher than the average itself. And so, so we know we're in a good current state, but we don't want to be resting on our laurels, right? We want to be sort of, uh, I, I like to quote Andy Grove, right? That the you want to be paranoid and you want to constantly reinvent yourself. And so we're thinking, uh, I was just coming actually from what we call as our impact presentations, where we have a group of people who are high potential, who sort of you know, work on topics and they kind of force us to rethink. And so I was just coming actually from the presentation and we're thinking about, hey, can we create an internal portal uh, where it's not just, hey, the jobs are listed and you can apply that everybody can do, but what if we can flip it? Here are the people who are interested in new experiences. And so can we almost create a role for them? So we sort of flip from the supply side to also the demand side. Right. So we're looking at that. We're looking at creating very structured journeys that say, okay, you know, here are the type of experiences you need to have to be able to take these roles. Because what typically challenge we find, Mary Fran, is to enable internal people, you have to train them, but they typically have so much work that's already, you know, on their plate that they don't have the time for training. Yes. And so we've tried to solve it by thinking about the internal portals. We've tried to think, solve it by thinking about a structured journey that we can outline for folks that, okay, here are the set of four things you've got to do and, and how you can go about it. Uh, we're experimenting with also trying to, you know, I mentioned to you like the pathways to data science where we've created this content mm-hmm. that they can uh, go through. And also we created something called the TRP, the technology rotation program, because we realized that new experiences in a structured way help. And so the TRP essentially takes you through six or nine months on one particular job and then rotates you to others. And so imagine over three years, you go to maybe four such experiences well, that and can that be will train you in different things. That can be especially helpful for technology people because we're, we often, I, I know at CIO Magazine for many years and a lot of the other technology leadership publication areas, we've often talked about you know the importance of that, um, the accelerating the business understanding of people on the tech side and there's almost no better way to do that than to have them actually in the situations. Um, in fact, when I had um, asked you earlier about some of the ways that you've accelerated and changed what you're doing as the CIO, CTO, and, and SVP of Connected Tech, 
you'd mentioned that another big change that you've been orchestrating in the last year comes around the Internet of Things and the IoT sensors. And of course, there are, uh, what, 120 of them now in the average printer. Talk a little bit about um, your understanding, not not just at Lexmark, but also from your days with Cisco, where you were running this sort of stuff, and also Unisys, about getting IoT projects beyond the pilot phase. I know that's something that you've started to see some real acceleration for uh, in the past year. So talk about that a little bit. Sure. No, it's a great question, Mary Fran. So, you know, I think this is, if you understand both the opportunity and the challenge that we have, I'll probably focus on uh, one statistic that McKinsey gave, which is that 83% of IoT projects today globally are stuck in sort of the pilot slash prototype phase. Mm-hmm. What does that tell you? It tells you, you could prototype, you can create pilots, but people are not really still able to truly use the power of IoT to transform, to drive a true transformation, to make it industry-wide, uh, company-wide, you know, at a massive scale. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when we looked at the statistics, one of the things that we've had to do, because, you know, uh, because of our size and our, 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 our roots, uh, we've had the culture of always being very entrepreneurial, kind of really thinking very deeply about things. And so one, to your point, we embedded about 120 print, you know, sort of IoT sensors in our printers. Mm-hmm. And we did that over time. It was sort of maybe a couple year journey where we started with a few and then we added more and more to, we wanted to really make sure that the sensors could give us the data, the information to know what was going on so that way we could maximize the uptime of these printers, mm-hmm. right? And also ensure that they could last the longest. We could ensure that uh, the supplies were in a good shape. So that way we could really deliver printing as a service. And mm-hmm. so what that experience did for us is that over the last maybe 15 years, we spent a lot of time in perfecting, I would say one of the world's largest IoT systems where we are taking about 120 of these sensors. We're doing that across more than a million two printers. And so about 125 million sensors we're managing on a daily basis. So imagine all the terabytes of data we're getting. Yeah. But what's more important is not the, the technology behind it, it's the business outcomes behind it. Right, right. And it's so what you're business... learning as you're managing all those IoT sensor data. Is that something that you are able to turn around and share with customers? You say, so, oh, by the way, here's what we're learning, and you might want to look at this. Exactly, right? Actually, mm-hmm. so the outcomes matter the most, right? Not only outcomes that you could share with the customers, but outcomes that you could demonstrate to the customers to say, this is what I'm able to do. So to give you some examples of the outcomes, right? We are now able to predict in 90% of the cases a problem before it happens. In 70% of the cases, we're able to fix that problem remotely. And so that's a win-win for the customer because last thing they need is somebody physically coming into the facility, which people don't welcome anymore. And also it's, so it true. takes time yeah. right now. Your thing is your device is down for multiple days till somebody comes. Right. And so our ability to remotely diagnose and correct that problem is key. Mm-hmm. It also creates better costs for us, right? So now we're able to reduce the, the cost. And so the outcome of that is we used to have about an 80% retention. Now we have a 95%, 98% retention okay. uh, in terms of renewal of these types of sort of uh, managed print services contracts. Mm-hmm. And so 
So there is a lots of very interesting outcomes. The other thing we've been able to do is to extend the life of these printers by almost 25%, which is a win-win for both the customer Mm-hmm. Because now they can make that asset sweat longer. And it's a win for us because especially with what happened with supply chain last year, you know, yes. we don't want, uh, you know, we, we, we're actually supply constrained. And so if we can do extend the life of those printers, we can serve more customers with the same number of, uh, you know, new assets that we're able to create. Like and getting so, a few extra years out of your car, you're able to exactly right, exactly. But doing it in a way where it's still in a very scientific way, where we could look at all the data coming out from it and saying, okay, these nine components are good instead of replacing the entire unit, just replace this particular subsystem and you're good to go. Yeah. And so yeah. being, having that intimate knowledge, both from real time data and from all the customer service data, all the trouble mm-hmm. tickets in the past couple of years that it may have had been on those printers and especially given we're getting it from so many sensors on a given printer on a given device yeah. we have a very high degree of probability of being right mm-hmm. and so what we have done in the last you know kind of that was wearing my cio hat now what we did wearing the cto hat is to say if we can create all these amazing outcomes not just great technology at 100 plus million scale but amazing out business outcomes now can we take that for other type of connected devices and so we launched an offering, uh, you know, uh, just in September last year called the Optra for, for IoT. And we hope to do it for other types of connected devices as well. And so I, I'm very optimistic that uh, that 83% number that I quoted, which was there in the past with McKinsey, I think we're coming to inflection point, both in terms of technology and the business understanding that we can, you know, drive uh, a much more higher percentage of things going into production because I think IoT with 5G coming in with better connectivity and all, I think is can have a very transformational impact on a number of interesting use cases for customers. Well, and I know that underlying all of this, of course, is a power of hybrid cloud and multi-cloud environments. And you had mentioned when we talked earlier that you're uh, busy scoping down from 10 data centers down to two and using Mm -hmm. a lot of multi-cloud capabilities in that movement. Um, And we have our first question from our audience here, and it happened, it is about the movement to cloud. And um, our, um, the, the question is about how moving to cloud was not an option during the pandemic for most companies as everyone was trying to collaborate more using cloud-based solutions. And this, uh, this IT leader would like to know what was your security strategy around that and what was your biggest worry? Yeah, it's a, I think whoever asked this question is a very smart question, right? Because <laughs> Uh, yeah. Cloud, on one hand, gives you agility, right? But there are there are two complexities when you think about cloud. One is that you know you typically still have some data centers, right? So you're really in a hybrid world, mm-hmm. and you, you have to think about the security of the data now, both in the data center and in the cloud. And also the other thing, you know, if you look for large enterprises, especially companies with thousand employees and more what you will realize is that most of them are in multi-cloud. Almost 78% of the companies studies show are in multi-cloud mm-hmm. or in that scale, which means they're not just in AWS and they're not just in Azure and they're not just in, say, an IBM. They may be in two or three clouds. We're actually in three clouds mm-hmm. and in data centers. And so you, when you think about the security problem, you have to think about it very acutely from three angles, right? One, do you have visibility? So do I have visibility into where is all my data in which clouds, what are all the permissions turned on? 
So in the industry, there is a word called CSPM, Cloud Security Posture Management. And so the idea is that you have insight into your security posture in each of those clouds to know what are the level of, uh, what best practices you're adopting to and which ones you have a problem on, right? So you typically want that. What you also want is, are you encrypting and protecting the data in those cloud workloads that are there? So is the encryption turned on? You know, do you not have S3 buckets that are turned on, which somebody can you know, just come and get the data? And so that in the industry is something called cloud security. Um, it's called basically cloud protection uh, technology, cloud protection platform, like a CPP. Mm-hmm. And then essentially the, the challenge becomes that once you've got the visibility and you've got all the controls applied to essentially encrypt and protect the data, then all the problems that you're finding, do you have a way to remediate them, right? Because the problem with the cloud is in some ways you're spinning the assets so fast that if you're taking weeks and weeks to remediate, that workload is already gone. And so how do you match the pace of remediation, which is the pace at which the data gets created? Mm -hmm. And so you need to think about automation technologies and things you could do to not only automatically find the problems from a posture, but also automatically remediate those problems in the posture. And so mm-hmm. we're in the middle of deploying technologies that across all of those three uh, that give us you know, the cloud security posture management that give us the cloud protection capability that enables it across the hybrid multi-cloud and that enables us to both find the problems and have an ability to fix those problems and also automated, so it's not all manual, right? You don't want everything as a service, not ticket that everybody's going in manually doing. Okay. And so we've had to kind of attack this problem from all those three perspectives. Yeah. Well, and it's not something where you just turn the problem over to the cloud provider either. It's something. You, it's, yeah, it's, security is a joint responsibility easy. in cloud. Yeah. yeah. Our next question is about, and this is a, a little bit of a bigger picture question. How do you foresee the metaverse playing a role in direct to consumer? And when do you think companies should get ready for it? Is it too early to do that now? Yeah, I think it's Put a fascinating your question. Your, your present and your futurist hat. Yeah, today. no, it's a fascinating question. I actually have been thinking quite a bit about it. Uh-huh. You know, if I think about metaverse as a set of, creating even more immersive experiences, right? We talked about the CIO role creating experiences for the employees, the CTO role creating experiences for the customers and partners. Now, if you think about, let's say e-commerce, right? And you're thinking about direct-to-consumer, you know, uh, can metaverse, depending on what you're selling, you know, we've got this, what I would say is our current tools have a certain level of friction, right? Mm-hmm. How do I, as a consumer, let's say if I'm trying to experience a new stereo sound, right? How do I experience that without going into the store on a website, right? How do we experience travel? You know, all of us have not been able to travel. I love traveling, but obviously given pandemic, that's not impossible. Yeah. Imagine the, the power of metaverse which could almost show to you what would Bali look like? What would Maldives look like? What would climbing, you know, being in Zion National Park look like without actually going there, which then motivates you to, in that metaverse, make those right reservations and, and get that, uh, you know, get that kind of bring that, you know, that, that virtual experience essentially creates the need or the desire for a physical experience. Or maybe you say this is enough and, and maybe this is not for me, yeah. right? And so I think, if I, if I think about the very practical applications that we're beginning to see and do, 
the most practical application that I saw both at UNSS and at Lexmark has been, you know, you've got these field technicians, right? They're trying to repair a device. Now, typically there are so many types of devices that you cannot train a technician into every device and everything. Mm-hmm. But what if with the metaverse, you could, with the augmented reality, what if I could guide them on when they're looking at a device, hey, instead of them knowing everything beforehand, here are the things to look out for. So they're physically, what they're seeing is actually augmented by things they see. So we've seen very practical examples like this, where we have found that these field technicians, and imagine if I could do this, not only for field technician, but for the consumer itself. So instead of them calling my call center, I'm able to download something into their metaverse that they can diagnose and fix their own device, right? So you can think about lots of practical things that we could be doing with the metaverse if we can take that friction out, whether it's in the, what I would call as the customer service side of things, Mm -hmm. the, you know, the sales side of things in terms of being able to experience it before you actually buy it in terms of potentially even from an education perspective, because the metaverse could be very effective when teaching you new things. You know, for example, I'd love to learn how to play, you know, uh, guitar, but uh, I've just not had the time to do it. But if there was a very good metaverse where I didn't have to physically Mm -hmm. drive every time, but I could essentially, you know, it could sort of teach me while I was playing guitar or press this key, that key, it could almost key got highlighted or something, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I I can imagine uh, 100% uh, consuming it. And so I think of this as something that has enormous potential, but I think we'll have to think about how do we make it into a secure experience? How do we make it into an immersive experience? How do we make it where it can be intelligent and customized per user because everybody's going to have a different need? Yeah. And then how do we think about what are the right business cases to apply to so it doesn't become similar to the IoT story? Hey, it's a bunch of pilots, but it becomes really at scale things that can create the right impact. Yes, because I remember you mentioned to me that, um, I th- and I don't know, I think this is a national statistic, that 82% of IoT projects are still in pilot phases. That's right. That there's, you know, the idea of rolling things out. Is there any obvious place to start when you're, a, say you're a CIO in the retail industry and you're mm-hmm. interested in metaverse, is there, do you need to make sure you have an appropriately upgraded network? Should you rethink your cloud strategy? Yeah. What would you take as kind of your very first steps? In yeah, no, it's a great question. Metaverse? So, you know, we actually think a lot about verticals. So we think a lot about smart manufacturing, smart retail. We have over 100 of the largest retailers as customers, and we do a lot of in our customer advisory board brainstorming sessions with them. And so Mm -hmm. as we have thought about reimagining a smart retail for the future, right, there are two types of use cases to think about. One is, you know, these retailers, what is the type of experience you can enable through metaverse, through IoT and all these other technologies in the front of the store, right? So for a new customer who's walking in, you know, uh, what can the experience that's gonna make the life of that customer better? Mm -hmm. The other might be on the back office itself, what things can you do to make things more efficient and and better? So on the front office, I'll give you a very simple example. Uh, Let's say if you could, as a consumer, Uh, know about the wait times at different queues. Let's say if you were going to go to Target, but you were afraid that, hey, it might take too long, or if I was going to go, let's say, for oil change, 
And I was afraid that it might be too long a wait, but I could have that visibility, right? Through maybe the cameras that are pointed on the queue and then figuring out from based on the queue depth. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, my wait time is only going to be 30 seconds or it's going to be, you know, five minutes and that will help them decide where they go, when they go. Yes. Similarly, you know, their ability, the gaze analytics that you could get can kind of guide you. Okay, you know, this is the type of display that, you know, the customers are finding immersive. Maybe these are ones that are not finding immersive. Mm-hmm. If you're in a clothing store, the metaverse has a lot of implication about not having to go to the restroom, but, you know, being able to imagine yourself in a particular cloth and a particular shoe and a particular yeah. thinking, right? If I have a golf club with metaverse, I can imagine how the golf swing would be or potentially, uh, mm-hmm. you know, without having to buy it and then return it and all of that. And so I think a combination of um, smart retail can be enabled through application of, you know, some of these technologies, whether it's metaverse or, you know, edge technologies, so things that are coming through cameras, lots of interesting AI that you could be running right without even going to the cloud itself. Mm -hmm. And so I think about the world of IoT, the world of edge technologies, the world of AI running, in those edge technologies, really enabling uh, us to create a set of new experiences that uh, would be very compelling yeah. uh, to the end, not only to the end uh, customer, but also to the store employee and guiding them, okay, here are the places where your inventory has gone down and you should be replenishing it, or here is yeah. the stuff in the back office where you may be having some trouble spots. Well, in the way you mentioned that it's it's dealing with imagery and visualization, that helps people figure it out so much more quickly. Exactly. Know? We're visual people, right? We we yeah. don't like to read really a lot are. of text. Yes. Pictures worth a thousand words. We have another, you mentioned earlier, we, we mentioned in passing the great resignation, which is something that's getting a lot of business and tech media attention these days. And we had a question about what you have done in the last year to minimize or reduce the attrition. The people yeah. that, you know, now that everyone realizes that they don't have to they don't have to live in Lexington, Kentucky to work for your company True. from all around. Yeah. I remember in the early days of the pandemic, a lot of CIOs said to me, This is amazing. We don't have to bring people into headquarters anymore. I can hire from anywhere. Yeah. And my response was, Well, so can everybody so can, else. So can the competition. <laughs> so can everybody yeah. else. No, I think it's a great question and something yeah. that while we're very fortunate that we're blessed with very loyal employees and and uh, as I mentioned, we have industry leading engagement scores, but we can't take any of that for granted. We have to constantly innovate and become better and better. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm in some ways a good example of a remote employee. I'm the only remote executive in the company. I actually live in Northern Virginia. Yeah. Uh, So I don't even live in Lexington, but I think it's the courage of the company to actually uh, take on a remote executive. Uh, And I'm kind of a digital hybrid worker where, you know, once every three weeks I am in Lexington, but majority of the time I'm not. Uh, and you know, how do you make that sort of uh, effective? And you know, we're experimenting with these types of things more and more. But uh, you know, we are thinking about three or four things in terms of really enabling our employees to have amazing experiences. One, as I mentioned, is really around you know uh, our CEO Alan has really driven something that we call as a culture change, which yes. is really around this one-person culture change. That what are the small things we could each do? to truly make a bigger impact because people, you know, if I think about what are, what do people really want in this new world? It's they want what Gartner will call as extreme flexibility. Mm-hmm. They want purpose. They want the ability to also, you know, progress in their careers. 
And so we're taking each of these three things and sort of designing programs on them. We're saying, okay, can we give you a lot of flexibility so that way you could be in a remote location or you don't need to come to your office every day or you come to your office and enable different kinds of collaboration. So when you do come, there's immersive experiences mm-hmm. where we talk a lot about enabling people and, and you know, through both university training, through other pathways and also their, their setup for success. So that's really around that. I think we have more work to do on the purpose side. So we're spending a lot of time on, you know, what is, when we talk about enabling you to leave that lasting impression, which is part of our mission, what does that really mean? Is that just on a piece of paper for printing? Is that also on this visual AI that we were talking about? Right. What does that lasting impression really mean? And how do you create it? And what is the impact that each of you are having mm-hmm. on the strategic priorities and tying that all together so everybody sort of understands their role in the bigger transformation? And so those are the three areas that we're focused on to really you know, be the best place mm-hmm. that we can be to attract and retain amazing talent. Okay. And um, I know we started at the top of the hour, we were talking about the impact of digital transformation. And I know you mentioned when we talked earlier that when you consider uh, this kind of digital work to be a real win-win is when your business side executives are the first ones to bring it up. And tell us about that. You said you've got uh, several, I guess your company asks everyone to talk about the top things they need to succeed. And you've been noticing digital transformation showing up on some unusual lists. It has. And so, uh, you know, so, you know, our, our, our CEO asked each of the executives in 22 to really outline what their top three priorities would be. Okay. So imagine if you're an executive in HR, hey, what are your top two priorities? Mm-hmm. If you're executive in, um, you know, what we call as com- commercial side, which includes marketing and sales, what are your top three priorities in product delivery? What are your top three priorities in legal? What are your top three priorities? Obviously, connected technology, what are your top three priorities? Mm-hmm. And, and what I was so, you know, we, as I said, have a very collaborative environment. Uh, we partner very uh, closely. But what I was very amazed uh, was that uh, when each of those executives sort of unveiled their top three priorities, uh, out of the five other executives, three of them had digital transformation among their top three priorities, even though they're not connected to connected technology. Wow. And so when you're a legal officer, when you're HR, when mm-hmm. your commercial head is saying digital transformation each of them obviously has a different view of things. So for example, our, our, our HR really wanted to roll out Workday and all the transformation it can bring versus the people software we're in, or you know, our commercial team really wanted to roll out this thing that we call as a customer governance portal and all the transformation that can bring in terms of amazing insights for those customers. But it was all under the banner of digital transformation. And yeah. so one, it really made me understand uh, that this was not because digital transformation cannot succeed in isolation. It's gotta be a company-wide priority. And so I was very happy to see it it come up in so many of the top priorities that finally became a company top three priorities. And now when we talk about the company's top strategic priorities, uh, the top three things we wanna do, digital transformation is one of them, which is very, very exciting. Well, it it must be interesting conversations for you to have too, because you mentioned in the cases where the executives put this on their list, they were tying it to a specific 
technology or an application, it's almost like they're coming to you and they're not just saying we want some digital transformation. They're saying, oh, we think we need this product. So probably the next conversation you have with them is interesting because it's almost like I feel like it's it's like regular people going to their doctor's office and saying, oh, I think I'd like this medication. Yeah, you know? I think it's a little bit of that, which is both exciting and sometimes can be scary, right? Yeah, I was thinking now it's you have and a big funnel of things people want and you have yes. to prioritize and you have to align and you have to roll them out. But I'd rather have more demand than um than than less right i'd rather have a lot of passion it opens the door to those conversations it opens the doors to the power of possible right it mm -hmm. opens the door to what we could co-create together yes it opens the door to how do we fundamentally longer term you know become a more innovative company become a more exciting place to be which is really what you want digital transformation to be enabling Yes. And so we actually launched a steering team for digital transformation last year, which is very cross-functional. And I think that helped as well. And, and, and you know, they're actually, it's not people like me or the executives, but sort of the next level. So, that, so there is about six VPs sitting on it who come from sort of six different areas of the company. But I think that actually helped us a lot in elevating the application of the digital transformation in each of the functions and elevating what the part of the possible can be, which ultimately I think enable these, this outcome that we talked about. Okay, good. And I have one last question from our audience and then we're gonna need to let you go. I know you're expected elsewhere today. You have things going on. Um, this question is about how much are automation technologies having an impact on your IT strategy? Um, what is your, your yeah. view on that? Oh, it's so we've outlined four parts of digital transformation for 22. And mm -hmm. one of those parts is actually automation. Okay. Now the challenge with automation, you know, I'll just maybe spend two minutes because it's an area I'm very passionate about as well. The <laughs> challenge with automation is you can't automate a bad process. And so what people don't actually think about as much as process mining, which is actually even more important, right? If I have six key processes, but they're not been uniformly done, then how will I automate it if yes, I don't yes. know all the different steps that happen? And so what we have started doing is to be really on this automation journey, we have not only targets in terms of the types of technologies like the RPAs type of technology or the power apps that come from Microsoft or the, the automation technology you can get from back office systems like SAP, but we are fundamentally first saying, can we really in great detail from actual execution map out the processes, not on a piece of paper, but based upon what is actually happening in the field today mm -hmm. from hundreds of people and monitoring what they're doing and then creating this thing called the digital twin, that sort of process map, yeah. and then deciding the digital twin, what pieces to automate, because okay. that will result in both standardization and automation, which will be more sustainable longer term. Great. Very good answer. Excellent. Well done there. Now for our final question, and I was thinking, I, I often ask CIOs what the pandemic, the last two years has taught them as a leader, what has changed in your leadership style. And you have it from two perspectives. You've got your year at Lexmark and the year before that you were with Unisys. So out of all of that, tell us one big thing that has really changed in your leadership style as we wrap up here today yeah i think the biggest thing pandemic has taught me is it's probably taught me two things right one is to realize how fortunate um, those of us who've made it to the other side are including myself right i mean you could look at everything as glass half full and half empty and i'm just very very grateful 
um, you know, because it, it's been a it's been a very difficult journey for so many people. But to be on the other side of it, and not that we are out of it, uh, is is is, is uh, being very grateful. But I think the biggest thing that I have learned from a personal leadership style is the importance of empathy. And so the empathy in terms of really understanding, you know, what that particular employee is going through in their life, what the customer might be going through, what the other functions are going through and kind of feel like you're in their shoe, mm-hmm. understanding, you know, especially when people are working from home, the type of challenges that they get into, the type of health challenges and the mental uh, health challenges people are getting into. And so I think, uh, it's really taught me, um, you know, we used to hear a lot of this from Satya Nadella at Microsoft, how he was thinking about empathy, but I think empathy is becoming now, I would say mainstream and perhaps the mm-hmm. most critical quality for a leader to have to be effective in uh, motivating and managing and enabling the teams. Yes, I, another great answer. I, I completely agree. And you really have to admire some of the technology leaders who were talking about empathy years ago i mean before that's right before before it uh before the pandemic happened and all that's right before everybody adopted it regardless so yeah thank you so much for your time today vishal it's been wonderful having you here and i've appreciated we got also excellent questions from our audience so we appreciate that from all of them too thank you for joining us thank you so much mary friend And if you joined us a little late today, do not worry. You can watch the full episode of my interview with Vishal later today uh, here on LinkedIn and also on CIO.com and our YouTube channel, IDG Tech Talk. CIO Leadership Live is also available as an audio podcast wherever you find your podcasts. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today with Vishal Gupta, CIO, CTO, and Senior VP of Connected Technology at Lexmark International and that you'll be back with us again two weeks from now on Monday, March 7th, when I will be uh, visited by Matt Melbrecht, who is the VP of IT at Coors Tech. Thanks again for joining us today, and please do take a moment to sign up on our YouTube channel, IDG Tech Talk, where you can find all of the previous, I think we're up over 80 episodes now, of similar CIO Leadership Live conversations with IT leaders from all over the country. And I'm always encouraging people, if they need something to binge watch, if you've gotten bored with what's on Netflix, Netflix, binge watch your way through some of our Leadership Live shows. Stay well, and we'll see you again here in two weeks next time. Take care. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.